Hi, we're Visible, the wireless company with nothing to hide. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not into you. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Yeah, don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you want to mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you want to jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. Yeah. All right, so it was about 10 months ago that the Bengals made the big change and moved on from head coach Marvin Lewis. And now, uh, coming out of the bye week, they will have a new starter at quarterback. Andy Dalton is out, and fourth-round rookie Ryan Finley out of North Carolina State is in. So what does that mean, and is it a new day? for real this time, in Cincinnati. My name is Matt Minnick. This is Bengals Chalk Talk on Orange and Black Insider. Thank you for joining me. Today, we are going to take a look at Finley uh, and what he did in the preseason. Now, the big thing that stands out to me is how Finley deals with pressure. He's not Russell Wilson. He's not a guy who's going to move around a little bit and be able to open up things for himself downfield, and he is certainly not a Lamar Jackson who is going to make big-time plays with his legs. But he is a guy who can subtly move in the pocket and extend the play uh, and and turn what could have been negative plays into positive plays. Uh, So that is something that really Andy Dalton struggled with this year. And a big thing that I'm hearing from a lot of different fans is, you, you know, build around Andy Dalton, get him a line. Nobody could do great with this line. Uh, you know, the the, the uh, Packers, uh, you know, like Aaron Rodgers couldn't play behind this line. Um, and not to mitigate the importance of offensive line, because absolutely a problem uh, that the Bengals have and absolutely a very important part of the game. Um, Andy Dalton is not blameless. Uh, he has been pressured less than you think. And still sacked more than just about anybody. Uh, He doesn't do anything to help himself out. Um, So Finley could be what the Bengals need right now. Uh, You know, maybe not, probably not a long-term answer. Uh, But his poise in the pocket could help them put some things together uh, and, you know, maybe win some games here down the stretch. Uh, Whether or not that's a positive is something I discussed in an article this week on Cincy Jungle, uh, but not the point of uh, this particular conversation. So, as we get to the chalk talk, uh, we'll start with the Kansas City game, the first preseason game. Now, one point I want to make here. Uh, hey, it's preseason. What does it mean? He's playing up against a bunch of backups, third stringers. You know, guys that aren't even making the team. You know, these guys are going to be playing in the XFL. Whatever. I've heard it all. I don't care. Um, and let me give you an example. Uh, it, when you're judging level of play and level of competition, take Jordan Brown, the Bengals' seventh-round pick out of South Dakota State. When you look at a guy like that coming out of the FCS, you can say, all right, well, it's hard to judge him because – he's going to face faster receivers. He's not facing the fastest receivers, not facing the biggest receivers uh, playing at that level. 
And that's fair because that's a direct competition. Same thing if you look at an offensive defensive lineman. You know, with Brown, we're talking more about speed. You know, with a guy like uh, with that, we'd be talking about strength with, uh, you know, in the trenches. Um, it's different with quarterback uh, because, you know what? Sure, Finley's out there and he's playing against a bunch of guys that probably a lot of these guys aren't on the Chiefs roster right now. But a lot of the guys he's playing with aren't on the Bengals roster right now. So it doesn't really matter because uh, that competition level is even. Uh, so as he gets better receivers and the defensive backs get better, it pretty much washes itself out. So let's take a look here. In the third quarter, uh, it was the Bengals first and 10 uh, on their own 33-yard line. So Finley's going to get pressured here. You know, play action pass. Uh, Andre Smith basically, uh, you know, greets the defensive end at the at the door and lets him rush on by on the left hand side. So Finley gets pressured. Now uh, Jordan Ellis, the running back, a little slow to get out, but he does get out, and then Finley steps back off of his back foot, kind of pops him down the ball, gain of three yards. Um, so not a huge play, but you know, it's a gain of three yards and it could have been a loss of a loss of seven. So I will take second and seven over second and 17 any day of the week. So good play there by Finley. All right. So a couple plays later, and honestly, this isn't terrible protection. Uh, the Bengals have first and 10 on the 31. They're going in and Finley drops back. He's got some time. And, you know, he doesn't find what he wants. And, you know, whether that's him or the receivers, it's it's hard to tell because they don't give me all 22 film for preseason games. Uh, but whatever it is, he starts to get some pressure from the, from the outside and the, start, uh, the uh, pocket starts to collapse on him from both sides. Uh, and he, he ducks down and he takes off, slides, picks up six yards. Uh, now there's a hole in the play and ends up negating it, knocking it back to first and 20. Uh, but, you know, Decent little instinct there. Uh, hopefully, you know, I'd like to see him finding something downfield, but not taking the sack, which is a win. So definitely, uh, you know, taking the positive yards over the sack. Now, later uh, in the game, in that drive, in fact, uh, they got down to the 11-yard line and had third and six, uh, excuse me, on the 10-yard line, third and six. Now, I mentioned that Dalton has struggled dealing with pressure. The Bengals' offense as a whole, uh, their two biggest problems, and I'm not talking about personnel, I'm not saying the offensive line, whatever, but the two situations where they're really struggling are third downs, uh, you know, keeping drives alive, and in the goal line. Uh, so this is both, uh, excuse me, red zone rather than goal line. This is both, though, third and six on the 10-yard line, and – then we're going to get some pressure. Uh, so Finley drops back. He gets pressure from his left. And that defensive end is actually going to kind of reach around, look to kind of grab on him, coming over Smith's back, barely misses him as he ducks underneath. Uh, and so he ducks underneath, scrambles just a tad, and keeps his eyes downfield, finds Jordan Ellis for the check down. So here the check down pans out really well. Throws a three-yard pass. Ellis runs into the end zone. And that is where six points where I come from. So 
Very good play there. Kept it alive. Didn't go the way things were planned, uh, but kept it alive. Got the score, you know, converting the third down and scoring the touchdown. Uh, two things where the Bengals have had some major struggles throughout this season. So definitely like to see that kind of poise and understanding of what's going on around him from Finley. Now, it wasn't all perfect. And, uh, you know, here he gets pressure from both sides uh, in the fourth quarter and uh, and tries to step up but can't quite escape. So they've got, uh, I believe that's uh, Dugas, Dugas, whatever his name is, at the right tackle. And he's struggling with the end. And then they try and block the other end with Mason Shrek bringing him across the formation. That doesn't pan out so well. Uh, and, and uh, you know, Finley tries to step up in the pocket again and ends up getting grabbed behind, uh, grabbed from behind by that defensive end. Now, we've seen the pocket collapsing from both sides. Uh, we've seen pressure from the left, pressure from the right. And here it's really that whole right side, you know, getting the guard and the right tackle both struggling. Uh, Finley... You know, tries to avoid it. He steps up, looks for his check down. Uh, looks like they actually get a hand on it there, and it ends up going uh, incomplete. Uh, and then on the very next play, he's pressured again, right? Go figure. Uh, but they are bringing, um, you know, just a four-man pressure. It starts to collapse inside on him. He steps forward, eyes downfield, and, you know, delivers what is really a, a pretty good ball to, to Stanley Morgan. Uh, and Morgan just drops it. Uh, so, look, there's somebody breaking on it, so if Morgan catches that, I don't know how, how much good it's doing him. Uh, but, you know, it's a, it's a good look for, for Finley looking for something uh, to convert that and, you know, get a positive play. All right, now Finley was able to play much earlier against the Washington Redskins the following week. Got in uh, during the first quarter, actually. Um, so higher level of competition, if you can call the – Washington Redskins that, uh, but, you know, get in a little bit sooner. Uh, and here's a third and five. So, again, key situation, third down, area the Bengals have struggled in. Uh, gets pressure, uh, mostly from the left, you know, that hard pressure from the left, but really uh, from his right, you know, and both the guard and tackle are struggling. Uh, but feels the pressure coming from his blind side, steps up, finds just a little gap. Uh, right kind of where the left guard originated, basically, uh, where he can set up, you know, as the, the left guard and center have created a little bit of space for him there. Uh, sets up and throws the ball downfield to Cody Core for a 14-yard gain. So, you know, great job. Uh, took a third and five play, you know, dealt, dealt with the pressure well, uh, you know, and, and was able to find a guy downfield and convert it for a, a big-time first down. So uh, excellent play there. Definitely something that's going to help the Bengals being able to make plays like that moving forward. So later in that drive, the Bengals had crossed the 50-yard line, uh, putting together a nice little drive. We're going to play action, uh, and then there's a pressure sent up the middle. So there's a blitz coming up the middle. Now this is uh, you know still Jordan Ellison there. So not a top running back, not Gio Bernard, who knows his protections really well. Uh, so Ellis is a little bit slow to pick this up. Uh, and really, that guy was beelining it. I mean, he was heading right for Finley. Uh, and Finley steps to the side, 
allows Ellis to pick up the block, and then what does he do? He gets his eyes right back downfield. So huge play for Finley. You know, steps to the side, eyes downfield. He's still got one guy, you know, looking to make the, the tackle on him, uh, gets the hit on him as he's, as he's delivering. Another guy jumping right up in front of his face trying to deflect it. And what does Finley do? He completes that ball downfield. So, uh, you know, this is a first down play, not a third down but he's throwing this ball downfield for a 16-yard gain and moving the chains. Uh, so great job dealing with pressure and still looking downfield, not taking the sack there. All right. And as the camera from the network focused on the Bengals offensive coordinator and his father, who could certainly help out with some of the Bengals' pass rush, uh, pass protection, excuse me, issues. Um, the Bengals were actually in a two-minute drive, 21 seconds left in the half. And Finley trying to keep things alive on third and three. So take a sack and it's over, right? It's fourth down and the clock's probably going to run out unless they call a timeout. But, um, so, again, uh, feeling a little bit of pressure. Uh, pressure coming really from both edges. He steps up into the pocket delivers the ball down the field to uh, uh, Damian Willis for a 19-yard pickup uh, and then gets up there real quick to spike the ball. Uh, you know, they end up having four seconds left on the clock. They're not able to do anything on the on the final play of the half, uh, but still very good look there uh, on third down to keep that thing alive. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. So that brings us into the second half. Uh, and the Bengals had a first and 10 on the 25-yard line. Uh, play action pass once again. And, you know, again, it's like a revolving door sometimes from that left tackle position. Um, so they come around the edge, uh, but really about all Andrew Smith does there is, is force that guy to go wide. Uh, so the pressure gets on Finley pretty quickly. He tries to step up, is looking to throw down the field, but the other defensive end is actually looped around in his face uh, and you know forces the incompletion on that one. All right, now uh, another check down here, uh, but it's third and ten. So you know check downs are better than taking sacks, uh, and they can be very positive plays. Um, hit on, uh, let's get the ball in Joe Mixon's hand. But, you know, here, and in this case with Jordan Ellis, uh, it's not enough for them. You know, the Redskins are able to uh, rally to it and make the tackle, so it doesn't really get them anywhere. Uh, pressure's coming largely from the right side, from that right tackle, uh, giving up that edge. And Finley, again, steps up, eyes downfield, finds his check down, and delivers uh you know don't know what he's reading what he's looking at or you know how much they're telling him to find his check down when he um 
goes through that progression and feels the pressure, uh, but definitely could have had more on a, on a Mason Shrek. Um, but either way, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's not good enough on third down. He's got to understand that situation uh, and understand, Hey, get rid of it, but put it in a position uh, to, you know, get them in a position where they can get the first down on that play. Now the left tackle here has no anchor and gets blown off the ball and pushed into the backfield. Uh, somehow, kind of recovers and gets that kind of take a white path, which actually opens up a lane for Finley. Uh, but all in all, I mean, this this protection, Finley has a little bit of time, uh, and then he's he's forced to to scramble to work around a little bit. Throws a really good, uh, you know, tight window ball uh, into Drew Sample. Uh, so real good job by Finley converting this one. You know, it's a, it's a first down play, and he turns it into another first down. Uh, with a great ball into his fellow fellow rookie there, uh, Sam. So the last preseason game that Finley saw some time in was against the New York Giants. Uh, in the second quarter of that game, uh, you know, it's a P and 10, you know, first play of the possession, and the Bengals were uh, deep into their own territory back on the 16-yard line. Uh, we see a play-action pass, and really the pressure is all over. Uh, Finley. There's there's like four guys right up in his business right away. Uh, you know, both edges, two guys coming pretty hard up the middle too. And he doesn't really step into this throw. Like he, you know, he stays poised, he keeps his eyes downfield, doesn't really step into it. And as a result, he throws a ball back to uh, Damian Willis that is really off target behind him. Now, Willis is, is a freak when it comes to making – uh, these contested catches and, and you know, jumping for the ball. And, you know, he, he does a great job with it and ends up being a 33-yard completion, uh, but not a great play for Finley by any stretch. So one of the question marks with Finley is his arm strength, and we see it there that, you know, when he's not able to step into his throw, uh, trying to throw a ball like that, uh, that it ends up being behind the receiver. So, Great job seeing the rush and, you know, hanging in there and delivering a ball. But, you know, the overall, the arm strength, uh, you know, wasn't really enough for what they needed there. On the very next play, uh, they send a little bit of a stunt. A guy breaks three free on his left and uh, starts to, to crash in on him. So this is something we haven't really seen. We see Finley stepping up in the pocket quite a bit, uh, but on this rep, he is uh, rolling out to the right to avoid the pressure. And you can really get a great idea how he you can see how he's keeping his eyes downfield. Uh, and he delivers the ball, tries to get it in to Rodney Anderson there. Uh, it falls incomplete, uh, so nothing doing there. But, you know, overall good uh, the way he is avoiding the rush and trying to get the ball uh, downfield and, you know, pass that thing for a first down. So Finley's pocket presence has allowed him to avoid sacks uh, in much of the preseason, but that didn't really work out that way against the New York Giants. Uh, and this is the first example. He's actually sacked three different times in this game. Uh, but runs the play action, and really, he can't do anything there. Uh, by the time he turns around, there are guys right on him. Uh, you see the 
Mike linebacker coming around the edge uh, and really unblocked, basically, uh, getting in there and, and getting involved and get, getting that sack. Uh, you know, and he's not the only one that's there either. So um, between that and uh, the pressure breaking free from the middle, uh, he's he's toast on that uh, on that particular play. So on a first down a little bit later in the game, the uh, the Giants sent a pressure, uh, and they actually sent two guys uh, off the edge to the right side while starting the defensive line. So Finley reacts to this very well. I mean, and, and honestly, the, the line does a f- decent job of picking it up. It's still, they have no anchor, so they're getting pushed back. Uh, but there's a body on everybody, uh, which – is something for them. Um, but Finley's able to recognize it, see the pressure, see how uh, they're getting pushed there on his right side. Ducks over to the left, eyes downfield, and he finds uh, Daniel Willis uh, again on the sideline there for a 19-yard gain. So good pickup there, good movement within the pocket, and good eyes downfield from Finley. Uh, while throwing that ball on the run uh, for the first down completion. Now, this one's pretty frustrating. Uh, Later in the drive, nearing the end of the half, uh, and, you know, Finley and the Bengals trying to drive down the field, third and six. Uh, Finley sees the threat of the double A gap pressure, moves his running back, puts Anderson up there to pick it up. Smart move, good job understanding protections. Those guys bail out. The Giants only send four, and it doesn't matter. Andre Smith uh, at the left tackle cannot get out there, literally lets the guy run right by him, and it's a sack. Uh, It's very frustrating because you see Finley's trying to – what he needs to do, and it doesn't do him any good because uh, he, he doesn't have the protection at all. So um, he's doing a lot of good things in the pocket that mitigate the problems with the offensive line, uh, but you can only do so much. All right, so whether or not you would call this a pressure, I don't know. Uh, but there is a guy getting in on Finley late from the right-hand side here. Uh, over that right tackle. You know, Finley stands in there, and we see that, uh, you know, the check down can do some good things uh, with a good athlete like he's got with Anderson here uh, and getting in the ball in space where he can make some things happen. So that's what you have when you have a check down with a Bernard with a Joe Mixon in the game is the ability to do that. Uh, and He's able to get that thing off as the um, – end is coming around and he's starting to get some pressure from the right hand side. So here's another example of it just being too much and Finley just not quite being able to escape. Uh, They show a two man, excuse me, a, a double a gap blitz once again and back off once again, but still the four man pressure uh, you know, really 
pressing those uh, offensive tackles for the Bengals back. Uh, Finley feels the Venus flytrap around himself, uh, and the defensive end is actually able to, uh, the left end is able to get off the block from the right tackle uh, as Finley looks to scramble there. So uh, Finley looking to run, uh, you know, definitely looks like he tucked the ball down there and he's and he's trying to take off. Uh, they count that as a sack. It's went from third and three to fourth and three. So, I mean, I'd call it getting back to the last scrimmage. Uh, but you know what? It's also not getting a first down. So third and three, got to get the first down. He's got to figure that out. Uh, not able to do that in this particular situation. But, I mean, hey, it's preseason, so YOLO. And they're going to go ahead and go for it on fourth down, fourth and three. Trying to get it to Alex Erickson real quick in the flat. This tends to be the sort of thing they tend to go to uh, on fourth downs. Not that I'd expect anything great game plan or scheme-wise to be revealed in the preseason. Uh, But guess what? Now that blitz is coming. Uh, Finley doesn't really step into it. He takes a hit on his... um, you know, really to his back uh, from the left side as he throws the ball out to the right. Doesn't really step into it, and the ball doesn't go quite where he wants it to. So if he steps into this, maybe he can put it more in front of Erickson. Erickson has to kind of come back around, uh, which really puts it where the defender's got a chance at it. Uh, vulnerable ball here. Certainly could have been a pick six uh, going the other way in this tie ball game. So um, definitely some concerns with that one. Uh, overall, though, just kind of looking at the way Finley deals with pressure, he is going to keep plays alive uh, that were not uh, when Dalton was in there. So just a, a key thing, an important thing to think about, he's going to keep plays alive. This team has struggled to keep drives alive. You know, being able to do that, uh, he's going to help out this offensive line, uh, which, you know, they're going to be able to move the ball a little bit more, I think. Um, So Finley puts them in a better position, I think, right now to win some games. Uh, Again, don't think he's a long-term answer. Don't know about the, you know, the overall arm strength, uh, but he's a good, solid player. uh, And having him in there, could definitely uh, do some good things for the Bengals. Uh, so looking forward to this uh, this one, hopefully getting some players back off of injury. Uh, you know, never know by the time we're recording who's going to be out there for sure, but um, lots of positive things coming uh, through with the week off. So hoping to have some guys out there. And, you know, the Bengals have got to – they got to be able to pull something together. Uh, and, you know, Zach Taylor – has got to be able to show some positives, uh, you know, show improvement offensively, defensively. This team needs to needs to get better. Uh, hopefully, Finley allows them the opportunity to to showcase some of these guys a little more, get a better idea uh, of what some of these guys can do. As AJ Green comes back from injury, uh, how does he look? As they try and evaluate young talent. Uh, Auden Tate and uh, Stanley Morgan. You know, if if Willis is active again at some point, uh, you know, being able to keep the drive alive, keep the play alive, 
in order to get some targets for some of these guys. Uh, so I think right now Finley's the best option for them, puts them in the best situation to win moving forward. Uh, round two against the Ravens this weekend after what they just did to the Patriots. A little bit scary, uh, but hey, you know, let, let's go. Looking forward to it and let's see what, what Finley can do out there. Uh, and you know, if they can get a little, little Finley bump, uh, having that, that new Q, QB and a guy who's kind of an unknown, um, uh, quantity out there and see what he can do. All right. So now that we have taken a look at Ryan Finley, uh, it's time to get another opinion here, uh, an expert opinion, but also an outsider opinion. Somebody who's not as vested in the Bengals future as we all are are uh so one of my favorite qb gurus mark schofield from pro football weekly how are you doing mark i'm doing well matt it's great to be with you it's been a while since we've chatted um obviously circumstances with cincinnati's quarterback spot have changed a bit but excited to be here and help break it down yeah i mean and and you know i think going forward we will probably uh be chatting quite a bit i'll definitely be following your work as the draft process really gets heated up. Um, so you, you alluded to it, though. The, the quarterback situation has changed. Big announcement last week that Dalton uh, would not be the starter for the rest of the season. They're going with the fourth-round rookie, Ryan Finley. So uh, first of all, again, I think Dalton is a very polarizing figure uh, in Cincinnati in a, in a way. Uh, everybody, everybody likes the, him as a guy, uh, but there's a lot of people that, you know, for, for years have been saying we can't win a Super Bowl with him. He's got to go. Uh, and then there's the let's build around him. He can do it, uh, you know, backers. So as somebody who's, uh, you know, coming from the outside, not, not vested in, uh, in Cincinnati winning, uh, what is your take on Andy Dalton, uh, the Andy Dalton of the past? And then I, I guess also, who he has been this year. It's it's a fascinating thing to sort of think about, Matt, because I think from a trait-based analysis, if you just look in sort of at Andy Dalton in a vacuum, the quarterback he is, you know, I'm of the camp that he's a guy that you can build around, that he's a quarterback that has enough traits, has enough from in terms of processing speed, accuracy in the short and intermediate areas of the field where you can be a successful offense and a successful team with him as your quarterback. But I think the problem sort of becomes when you sort of step back and look at sort of big picture. You're a team right now that is 0-8. He is the quarterback that has sort of become the, shall we say, the poster child for quarterback purgatory where he's good enough to be your quarterback, but maybe he's not the guy, like you said, to sort of get you over the hump. And when you look at the fact that the team is 0-8, you have a young offensive-minded head coach now, and we've seen the timeline for many franchises where they want to have that guy mold a young quarterback. I can understand why the switch was made because of two reasons. One, you have to see what you have in Ryan Finley. You know, Maybe there's a situation, we can talk about Ryan some more, I bet, um, where you might have something on your hands with him. But then we also have an upcoming quarterback class where if you're going to be at or near the top of the draft board, you have to decide if what you have is worth – for going one of these guys at the top, say a Joe Burrow or you know a Tua or Justin Herbert. And so I understand why the switch was made. I think it does make sense for Cincinnati. I still think that there is a future for Andy Dalton in this league. 
if I'm Chicago, if I'm Tennessee, if I'm some of the other teams that are close, I'm certainly asking around about um, Andy Dalton. And so I think he'll find a home next year, and the Cincinnati Bengals have to find who he's going to be their guy going forward over the next couple of months. Yeah, you know, on that topic, it was uh, the timing of the benching. Uh, from one standpoint, makes a ton of sense that uh, they wanted to give Ryan Finley two weeks in practice to work as the starter. Uh, but the problem and what has caused an uproar with Bengals fans is that uh, it was announced uh, hours before the NFL trade deadline, uh, just kind of the way the, the calendar fell with things. Uh, so what do you think about uh, – you mentioned some teams where he could end up. Um, a lot of people in the media were connecting him to the Bears even before this happened. Um, do you think that his trade value has been mitigated at all by uh, by this delay and by the fact that they won't be able to move him until the uh, uh, the new league year? I mean, there could be something to that in the sense that you know he's a 32 year old quarterback. I don't know his date of birth off the top of my head, but you know you're going to get another season in a sense of age on him by the time you can acquire him as a new team. And I know from his camp standpoint, his point of view, they would have liked to have had this move done so they could have explored some options before the deadline. Now, because people like myself and others have connected him, say, with the Chicago, again, I cover the Bears for Pro Football Week. That's 90% of what I do. You know, I, I wrote a piece sort of advocating for a guy like Andy Dalton to be at least next year camp competition for Mitchell Trubisky. You know, it doesn't mean that the Bears would have made that trade. It doesn't mean that other teams like Tennessee might have made a move for him or Jacksonville or any other organization. So we don't know that. Um, and at the same time, quarterbacks are always a valued commodity league-wide, uh, especially when you look at teams that still will have some unsettled quarterback rooms going into next year, whether it's Carolina or Chicago, like we were talking about, or some other teams. And so I think there will be some value there for Andy Dalton in the offseason from his perspective, understand why he might have got, liked to have gotten moved now because he could have played. And if he steps into Chicago's offense – Maybe they're a playoff team. Who knows? And so he might have liked to have had that. But I think Cincinnati will be able to recoup what they can get in him in this offseason as well. You know, I wonder with the Chicago thing, what never made sense to me is uh, they are, you know, they're very close and, and, you know, have been very good on defense. Um, But Dalton has a bad reputation for what he does. Uh, number one in the playoffs, uh, but also just in national te- national television in, in general, primetime games. So, uh, you know, I, I wonder how much teams would look at that and what the value is, especially for a team that's that close. Like, is he really the guy that gets you over the hump, or is he just kind of a kind of a guy? Uh, I. Yeah, I think if you're looking at sort of on the one hand what Chicago's done to David Mitchell Trubisky and then what Andy Dalton can bring to the table, I think even with that sort of reputation as somebody that struggles in the primetime games, some of the struggles in big-time games, it can't get worse for Chicago's offense right now. I mean, this just this, this week, Matt, I wrote a piece basically advocating for Matt Nagy, if he's going to stick with Mitchell Trubisky, to make him a wing-T quarterback. Like, I literally made that case because this offense isn't working. And 
one of the things that Mitchell Trubisky does bring to the table is athleticism. And so why not play to that? Not that he's Lamar Jackson, but try it because what's going on right now in Chicago is not working. And we often talk about how you have to maximize the rookie quarterback deal. Well, you got to do it some way with Mitchell Trubisky at this point in Chicago. And if turning them into a winty quarterback is the only way, then you have to try it. And so putting that aside, I mean, that sort of bolsters the case for the fact that Andy Dalton would probably be an upgrade right now if you're Chicago. You know, it's interesting you say that because you hear about Trubisky's athleticism and we've definitely seen it. Um, Last year when they played the Patriots, it appeared to me that Belichick was cool with it. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it seemed like the, the Patriots' game plan was, you know what, he's athletic, we'll let him run on us, he's not going to be, uh, beat us running. Uh, and, and, and that's a team that, you know, they don't, they don't let Russell Wilson get away. They don't let uh, Aaron Rodgers get out of the box. Uh, obviously, Lamar Jackson's a different story, right. uh, but uh, you know they, they definitely didn't want to let him out of the, uh, out of the uh, pocket either. So um, that, that's the interesting thing to me is you know I wonder I wonder how far he could get with something like that. Um, you know, just you know, is he is he that good? Uh, or his athletic you know is his athletic ability that high that it would, could overcome that lack of uh, passing ability? Yeah, I think it's more a situation, Matt, where the passing ability right now is so poor. And the ability to read simple concepts is so bad that you don't have anywhere else to turn. I mean, there was a play early in that game where they were empty, simple slant flat to the left, simple curls with a slant to the right. And he had just absolute vapor law. Like, everything was open. And he got sacked. And it wasn't because there was a free rusher or anything. He just got sacked. And my mind flashed back to a play he had his last year in college where he had basically the same thing. It was a curls concept to the left. Number three was uncovered. Number two was covered by the slot corner. He expects to throw to three. Two, the slot corner jumps number three. All he has to do is move his eyes two inches to the outside and throw to number two, and he gets Mm -hmm. sacked because he panics. And we're seeing that now his third year in the National Football League. Sometimes quarterbacks just are who they are, and this might be the case with Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah, uh, sacked because he panics is – you know, it, it could be like the title of the made-for-TV movie or the 30 for 30 about uh, Andy Dalton's season this yeah. year. Yeah. Um, so mo- moving on, uh, you know, the Bengals have a new quarterback now. Uh, it's a guy who was a fourth-round pick, but a, a guy who they had uh, enough confidence in to move up uh, and, and go get him, uh, you know, as day three started this year, um, you know, and, and again, we're talking about moving up for a fourth round pick, but, uh, you know, for the Bengals, that's a relatively aggressive move. Uh, what, what were, uh, what were your thoughts on, uh, Ryan Finley coming out of NC state? You know, Finley was a very fun player to study in a sense, because, you know, when I got a chance to sort of watch his film throughout the year last year and, you know, dive into, you know, where he was as a passer, you know, I came away with the idea that, look, no matter what, we're going to see this guy in the league seven, eight, nine, ten years from now. You know, because at the bare minimum, this was somebody that just screamed long-term, high-end backup. And while that might not sound like the sexiest description of a quarterback ever, 
there's still a role for that player in the National Football League. I mean, look at Colt McCoy, who has made a career of being the long-term backup type guy. There's always a need for that, especially in this day and age when so many players, so many quarterbacks go down. And so with that sort of as a frame of reference for him, you know, keep that in mind. Things that stood out to me sort of watching him on film, and then again, seeing him at the Senior Bowl. He's a refined, experienced quarterback, veteran-type guy, efficient, very good mentally. I love his approach, good footwork, does a lot of the sort of little things well at the quarterback position. Extremely intelligent person and player. You know, you look at his background, he was at Boise State, leaves due to injury. You know, he was on track to graduate early, so he sought a transfer, ends up at NC State. I think he got like two master's degrees during his time at NC State. So he's incredibly intelligent. When I got a chance to talk to him down at the Senior Bowl, talked some X's and O's with him, brought up one of their favorite route concepts at NC State where it's a trips concept with it's a post from number one on the outside, out and up from number two, and then number three runs just a deep out. As soon as I brought that up, his eyes lit up. Matt, he knew exactly what I was talking about. He said it was one of his favorite concepts to throw, one of their favorite concepts to call because it gets you that number three isolated usually on a Mike linebacker, and you put your good receiver in that spot. You're going to get a great matchup to throw. He always made those throws with great timing, great rhythm, great anticipation. So it shows you that it's a player that has that sort of heady understanding of what they're doing conceptually and how to attack defenses with what they've got called. And so – just that alone made me think, look, this is a guy that's going to last in the league. And then you see some of what he did this preseason, made some impressive throws, some good throws from crowded pockets. And I really came away impressed with what we saw from him in the run-up to the start of the season. And so I wasn't surprised at all when he sort of won the number two job. And I think this is a tremendous opportunity in front of Cincinnati because there's a lot to build around with him. And if you could over these next eight games, get a true sense of who he is and come away thinking, yeah, we got something here. We don't need to go early at quarterback. That's a great position to be in because now you've got your young quarterback to build around with Zach Taylor. I think there's the potential there for him to be that guy. And I know that might leave some sort of underwhelmed because maybe you've got thoughts of Tua or thoughts of Burrow or, you know, obviously Burrow sort of returned at home in a sense and a ho- formerly an Ohio State guy dancing in your heads. But if there's something here with Ryan Finley, then do what you thought or some thought you could do with Dalton and build build around the new guy. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thought. I think it's it's something that actually scares a lot of people uh, in the fan base. Um, you know, what if what if he's just all right? And right. what if he's just good enough that the Bengals decide to go, you know, for a, for a Thomas, for a Chase Young, uh, and pass on that opportunity? Um which, you know, if if they do that and then he comes out and lays an egg as a sophomore year, um, okay, it's Trevor Lawrence time. Uh, right. But the more likely scenario uh, is that, you know, he is pretty good. Uh, and they do put a couple of things around him maybe. And, uh, and, and now we're looking at seven to nine wins uh, and not making the playoffs and not being in position to take a, another quarterback if, if he's just, you know, that guy. Again, putting you right back into – in the quarterback purgatory. So right. um, it's definitely, it's, it, it's a slippery slope, you know, uh, you know, I, I think even with like guys like Jared Goff, you know, like that's a conversation people have had about a, a guy like Jared Goff. Do you like, do you extend him? Is he holding you back? I mean, and there was, 
the, it's been figured out, but it was the conversation before about Trubisky. Is he holding you back, or is he going to be that guy? And now I think that you know people understand he's holding them back. Um, I guess even more risk when you're looking at a guy from the fourth round and you have an opportunity to take a guy at the top of the draft, most likely, uh, you know, this year. Right. And I think, you know, the recent history, in a sense, is probably a lot of the reason why Bengals fans might be sort of scared off by that approach is that could this just be Dalton 2.0, you know, a mm-hmm. middle round quarterback that is good enough, but is never going to really get us to where we want to be. And it especially gets magnified when you've got what looks to be a solid quarterback, if not a very good quarterback class, whether it's Tua, whether it's Burrow, whether it's Herbert, whether it's some of the later round guys, Eason from Hertz, Jordan Love even. There seems to be a lot of potential in this next group. And so the idea that you could, say, pass on one of those guys, roll with the fourth round guy in Ryan Finley, and then if he's just good enough, you're again right back where you were this year. You know, probably doesn't sound appetizing. That's why these next games are so critical. And that's why this move had to be made if you're Cincinnati, because you need this slate of games to truly get a sense of where Ryan Finley is. Because it's one thing to do it against guys that are selling insurance right now. It's another thing to do it down the stretch when you're going to be playing live games that have made into just not just yourselves and trying to evaluate Ryan Finley, but to the teams you're going up against because you're going to play some teams that are going to be fighting for playoff position. So these games are going to matter. These are going to be real live games. You're going to get a true sense of where Ryan Finley is, and then you can make that educated decision. It's much better to do it now than give Finley two games, and then you've got to decide what you're going to do with the quarterback position in the offseason. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because there's definitely a risk on both sides of it. Um, I mean, if you look at the the competition, uh, I use that as a negative term, but the, the competition the Bengals have for the number one overall selection right now, um, you've got the Redskins uh, just drafted a quarterback last year. Uh, yep. I mean, you know, he just got in there, but they just drafted a quarterback last year. Uh, you've got the Dolphins didn't draft a quarterback when they probably should have, uh, but they've got a second-year quarterback uh, a second-year first-round quarterback sitting there as well. The Jets, top pick quarterback recently. Um, you know, the, you know, probably the Giants and the uh, Browns are going to be in that mix too, uh, with top pick quarterbacks recently. So, um, I think this this idea that uh, that uh, drafting the right quarterback is a, is a magic wand that's going to uh, you know put, make you a playoff team. Right. Uh, but you know, it, it it is certainly not that easy. Uh, and, and there's certainly risk, you know, either way you go about it. Yeah, there, there's risks associated with addressing Eddie's, you know, quarterback need, you know, at anywhere in the draft. But especially if you miss on that guy early, you know, it doesn't harm you as much as it used to under the new you know, salary cap restrictions for the, you know, these contracts. But still, you know, if you're Washington, if you're Cleveland, even, you're wondering, do we do the right thing here? Obviously, Jets fans are wondering, was Sam Darnold if they did the right thing? So we don't know. And let's be honest about it. You know, even though I do this pseudo-professionally here, quarterback evaluation is an imperfect art. We don't get it right, especially those of us on the outside doing it. Those of us inside don't get it right either, even though they can sit down with these guys. They can put them on the whiteboards. They can 
hire a private investigator to track these people when they go to and from visits and see how they interact with gate agents at the airport. And even with all of that information, they get it wrong because sometimes what matters more than anything else is the scheme fit, the coaching, and the landing spot. And so that's why, again, the art of evaluating quarterbacks may be flawed, but then coaching them may be flawed too. We thought that McVay had it right with how he was handling Jared Goff, but as we saw in the Super Bowl, there are ways to get around what they were doing. We thought that you know perhaps some of these other teams are doing it right, perhaps Cleveland was doing it right, getting Freddie Kitchens with Baker Mayfield, but that seems to have gone off the tracks this year. And so there are risks with either approach. There are flaws with either approach. There are mistakes that are going to be made. It's a tough one. I mean, that's why, again, I keep coming back to the idea that You've now got eight games to see what you've got in Finley. And it may be that, look, he's good but not good enough. He doesn't blow the doors off. And you think, okay, well, he will be our long-term backup. We can address the quarterback position early in next year's draft. It may be that he does blow the doors off. And then, yay, you don't have to worry about it. Or maybe he's just not good at all. Either case, you have your answer. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, this last uh, quarterback, uh, this last draft class, I think it was a good class to take a guy like Finley because I feel like there were a number of guys, um, and Finley honestly he wasn't he wasn't one of my top guys in this list, but uh, you know guys like uh, Will Greer, like like Drew Locke, like uh, uh, Brett Rippin, who would like you, you see why they're not first round picks, but they're you know they're they're worth a roll of the dice. Yeah. Um, so you know could end up being a pretty smart move on the on the part of the Bengals, you know, getting that guy in there, giving him a chance, uh, and then, you know, possibly going for their guy in 2020. Um, and, and, you know, that brings us to 2020. So, uh, and, you know, a number of quarterbacks being talked about this year. Uh, from from what you're seeing so far, who uh, who's standing out to you and, you know, who might be a good uh, pick for the Bengals? I mean – it's hard not to be I'm very impressed with what Joe Burrow has done to date because, you know, and people have tried to think about, you know, in recent history, have we seen a quarterback go from fringe day three type guy to potential number one overall this fast? You know, there were cases to be made that, you know, maybe, uh, you know, the rise of Baker in a sense, because I don't think people thought Baker was going to be one, one. Um, going into his senior year, but he certainly had a nice rise. But people probably thought he was at least a day two guy, you know, yeah. maybe an early day I, two. Guy. I mean, I I wrote uh, I wrote articles after the college season was over, uh, like saying, hey, maybe the Bengals could get him at twelve. You yeah. Know? <laughs> so I mean, yeah, even even afterwards, yeah. Yeah, I mean, oh, people weren't really sold on him, you know, it was late into the process post combine, I'd say. Or maybe it was started with the senior bowl when you sort of just saw what he brought to the table in terms of leadership, what he brought into the table in terms of the Pied Piper thing that Hugh Jackson talked about. That when Baker Mayfield walked into the stadium at Lad Peebles for the senior bowl, you knew, you knew he was there. It was just that kind of energy. But mm-hmm. Burrow's rise has been incredible. And he, he's doing it with things that matter at the quarterback position. They, they've put a lot on his plate. He's making some great reads, some great throws, showing the ability to move second and third level defenders with his eyes. He has that knack to understand, read, and then exploit leverage in the downfield passing game. He plays with some onions, some stones, some guts, and and that does matter at the quarterback position. He's got some 
what you would call impressive wins to his resume. You know, going into Texas when Texas was ranked highly early, early in the season, primetime game, that was an impressive win. Obviously, he gets a huge one this weekend. You know, people are calling this the battle for QB1 between him and Tua Tagovailoa, and it has that sort of makings. You know, we don't know if Tua is going to go. He's dealing with the ankle injury, but, you know, Burrow has been impressive. Tua is still an, an impressive quarterback from, you know, the studying that I've done of him. You know, snap release, very good mechanics, incredible arm talent to all levels of the field, athletic enough, you know, above you know, above ad- adequate athleticism for the quarterback position. You know, he performs well under pressure. He's played on some big stages, you know, coming in as a freshman the way he did for Alabama. You know, hard to top that, but he's tried to, you know, since then. So those two players have been impressive. I'm still impressed with Justin Herbert. I know some people have sort of, you know, it's the way this process always plays out, Matt. As one rises, others have to fall, which is the nature of the business in a sense. And so Herbert has sort of seen himself go from the guy vying with two of QB1 to now he's like third on everybody else's boards. And it's like, oh, you know, Justin Herbert, maybe he's not that good. He's got a great offensive line. But I think the more I have studied quarterbacks, and I actually wrote this this week over at Matt Waldman's site, the more and more I study quarterbacks, the more and more I realize, or at least I think I'm realizing, that you know there are some things that really matter and some of the things that we often hype up each draft class like – you know, processing speed and reading defenses. A, it's often overblown with, with what these guys are actually asked to do. I mean, I had Josh Rosen QB1, and part of the reason was I thought he was mentally ready to take over, and now we're finding out that he was never even asked to identify a Mike linebacker before. Like, so sometimes what we believe isn't reality. And so sometimes when we bump up a guy saying, oh, he can read defenses, it might just be a figment of our imagination. And so when I watch quarterbacks now, the things I look for are reading leverage, anticipation throws, like the things that maybe reading defenses matter somewhat, but really it's just how well they feel the quarterback position. And because we see that work, because you could look at the guys that are having success now, you know, some of the younger guys like a Lamar Jackson, you know, I mean, you see that. It's that sort of nuanced feel for the position that sometimes matters a lot more than whether they can, you know, decipher plays on a chalkboard. Because defenses are doing so much conceptually now that's complex that it doesn't matter if you can make the read and the distinction between a cover four and a cover six because who cares? Defenses are hardly ever spot dropping into those. There's so much pattern match, so much combination coverage that if you can just find a way to fit a ball in against leverage, that will work. And so that's why I'm still kind of high on Herbert. And then there are some other guys, look, you know, I mentioned Jordan Love, Jacob Eason, Jake Fromm, you know, I think J- Jalen Hurts, those are thinking more like day two guys, mm-hmm. um, but there's certainly some talent there. Love has fallen a bit. I'd almost be inclined to suggest he should go back to school and maybe he would benefit from one more season in college. I think Fromm is that next variation of the long-term backup type guy that We'll probably get bumped up boards because they run sort of a pro-style offense and you see him turn his back to the defense on play-action things. And so that will certainly attract some coaches. Hurts is a fantastically difficult evaluation, similar to Kyler Murray, similar to Baker Mayfield. Great athlete, tremendous leader. You know you know he's going to walk into an organization who will have the ability to sort of change the culture. Does what he, do, does, what he does as a quarterback translate well? I don't know if it does. But we're seeing more and more of that work, and so maybe it could. 
And so he could rise throughout this process. I think he's a player that could have a fantastic postseason pre-draft process and, you know, bump himself up. And Easton's been interesting. Um, you know, inc- incredible arm talent. I've been very impressed with what he's done in Washington. I think they should let him do a bit more, but it's two it's Herbert teams will look at at the top of the first round and the other guys might be more later first round day two type guys. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned Rosen in there too, because to me, what's going on with Herbert right now is kind of what happened with Rosen postseason. And yeah. uh, that, that, yeah, you had Rosen number one. I, you know, I had Rosen uh, number two. I think a lot of people had him. Um, I mean, I think when the season ended, uh, when the last whistle blew, it was Darnold or Rosen. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, much like coming into this, it was, it, you know, all right, are the, are the Dolphins tanking for two or Herbert? Uh, and, yeah, and then that, that Baker arrives, you know, that Joe Burrow in this case arrives, um, you know, and, and somebody's got to fall. So um, Burrow, I think it's interesting, too. I, you know, things that are hard for us to really see on film – uh, but Baker, you could see his personality on film, and it was off-putting to some. Uh, but you know, like you said, that Pied Piper effect, and I, and I you know, the, the way he rallied people around him. Um, you know, I, I, I truly think it's. I mean, it's he was the one that changed the culture uh, in Cleveland uh, and got them winning some games anyway. Um, it, you know, wasn't wasn't a wasn't just firing Hugh uh, that that did that for them. So um, Burrow, it seems like he's got a little something to him. You know, maybe yeah. not quite as overtly, uh, but you know, he just he seems like a kind of a gritty guy. He seems like he's having a good time, and um, you know, like kind of enjoys like he kind of like celebrates with his teammates a little bit and some things too. Um, you know, again, not as overtly as as Baker, but. Um, you know, that's definitely something that that stands out to me too, uh, with a a culture in Cincinnati that needs a change, that needs a loud leader. Uh, that you know, Burrow seems like he could be a, that kind of guy. Yeah, it does seem like he could be, and you know, like I said, Hertz might be another guy. Um, but you're probably, unless we're seeing another type Baker Murray type rise, I don't think we're talking about Jalen Hurts at you know first, second, third, top five overall. You know, the thing with, with Burrow is that, you know, there's the fact that he'll have played on some big stages that will probably be attractive to Bengals fans. You know, he, he's played in some big games already. He's got a huge one this weekend. And we will reach sort of a terminal velocity type situation with his draft hype if he goes into Tuscaloosa and wins this game. Because I've often said that playing against Nick Saban as a quarterback in college is as close as you can get to mimicking the NFL experience as you will get at the collegiate level because you're going to get NFL coverage looks, you're going to get NFL talent, and you're going to get a Belichickian mind across the ball who's doing everything he can to stop you. That's the NFL experience for a young quarterback. So if he goes into Tuscaloosa and wins this game, you the, the – it's a runaway train at that point. He's probably 1-1 if you're a quarterback needy team. And if even if you're not, maybe you think about it because uh, it would just sort of be that kind of hype scenario. 
it's going to be a fascinating game to watch. I can't wait to see this one. I'm already telling my parents, my family, my wife, my kids, like, don't expect me this Saturday <laughs> afternoon. Like, like, this is what, look, I know the Patriots are to buy. That's the team that I do the most coverage of, but it's rare I want to sit down and watch a college football game because I know I end up watching them anyway on tape. But no, this is one I think people want to see live. And heck, look, the president's going to see it. So, yeah, I mean, it, a lot of people want to see this one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely exciting. Works out perfectly for you with the with the bye week. Yeah. Uh, you know that, that you can you can really uh, put all your energy into that and you know DVR it, watch it again the next day and everything. Don't have to worry so much about the uh, the Patriots coming up. So um, yeah, very interesting. Uh, l- looking at Herbert, I liked Herbert more than I thought I would. Uh, for all the negatives I've heard about him, uh, I think Tua is maybe the. If if one of them is a sure thing, I think two is a sure thing. Yeah. Um, you know, not that he's the best of the group, but I think he, I I feel like Tua is going to be a very good NFL quarterback uh, for a long time. Um, you know, good to, good to very good quarterback uh, in the NFL for a long time, and I I don't I don't see a you know a, a very deep floor with him. Uh, you know, I I, I think he's going to be successful, uh, and then yeah, Burrow is just. You know, Burroughs has got something about him. You know, he's he's got the swag. He can do things out of the pocket, and um, and he's a he's an exciting player. So, definitely uh, going to be a very uh, very exciting game to to check out this weekend. So, and we will certainly be talking about it uh, on this show next week. Um, now, uh, f- for you though, uh, any uh, anywhere you'd like to talk about where people can find your work or or listen to you talk about quarterbacks. Well, thanks so much, Matt, for having me on. It's been a blast. If people want to follow along with me, at Mark Schofield on Twitter is the easiest, um, but I write for a number of places. Uh, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scout and Portfolio, Pro Football Weekly, as I mentioned, and a, a couple of different SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, where I also co-host the QB Sco Show, where we talk quarterbacks that the Eagles have, that the Eagles are going up against, quarterbacks generally, where I host that with Michael Kist. And then over at Pat's Pulpit, where I do some writing and host the Sco Show, which is a Pat-centric podcast. It's not a Pat's-only podcast. Um, that comes out anywhere from two to three times a week. But like I said, the easiest way is on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. All right. And, yeah, definitely good stuff on there. And, you know, uh, regardless of how the next week, the next few uh, weeks go, uh, the Bengals are probably going to still be looking pretty uh, heavily at the quarterback position. Uh, so definitely uh, a great follow for any Bengals fan as we get into uh, uh, get into the draft season coming up here. So, uh, And I'll be back here again next week and uh, every, every Thursday. Uh, we will certainly be talking about uh, Tua versus Burrow next week. And uh, you know, hopefully, we're we're talking a good amount about uh, uh, about some positive things that we've seen out of Ryan Finley. So, uh, thank you, uh, Mark, for for joining me for talking some quarterback play with me. Uh, and go Bengals! Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. 
Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.